0: Welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we build products in public. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins, and everything in between. I'm Benedict, and I'm feeling productive.
1: And I'm Benedicta. Today is April 1st. Ooh, and this is episode number 134. I am feeling eager. For many reasons, but one of them being that we have a guest today. It's Steve Reese, founder of TL Draw. So we're wondering, how are you feeling and how's your week been?
2: Hey, how's it going? Uh, week is going pretty good. And I guess I'm feeling um, excited. I'll say that.
1: Excited.
0: <laughs> that what sound are very you? Very excited. <laughs> excited.
1: You're like, okay, I'm, like, I'm excited. Uh, I I'm think excited, so are... excited. Yeah,
2: definitely. A little bit daunted, a little bit. Uh, I think I had a. Had a different word for this, but yeah, a um, lot of lot anything, of interesting things have been happening.
1: Anything in particular you want to share?
2: Yeah, so uh, I just finished raising money for Teal Draw, um, so we are now Teal Draw Inc. <laughs> wow. And this little side project that I've uh, I've been working on for for the last year, or the better part of the last year, is now going to be my main thing for um, a while longer. So yeah. But That's so amazing. cool. Before we get into
0: <laughs> before we get into juicy details, can you tell us a little bit more about TL Draw and its origin
2: story? Yeah, for sure. So, um, first off, I'm I'm Steve. I'm living in London, originally from Chicago, um, and I guess my background is is more in art and design. So, until about 2015, I was a uh, you know on the contemporary art track, um, and had a studio and paintings. And if you wanted to see paintings, you could look up steveruizart.com, and you can see my nice little watercolors. Um, but of course, uh, around 2015, I was 30, got into design, got into tech. Um, I needed to make some money. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I decided to, to you know, stick with the, the kind of try and combine the creative um, work that I had with a little bit of analytical uh, work that I had been doing in a different field previously. Um, Got into design, ended up being like able to build a little bit on the uh, kind of little technical skill that I had um, from like building portfolio websites and such as an artist, um, turned that into being a designer who codes when that was like super hot back in two thousand and seventeen. <laughs> and then um, bounced between products, ended up working for a company called Framer, doing their education. Um, worked for another design company, design tool company called play, uh, out in New York. Uh, and around that same time, I started working more into open source. So open source projects that kind of were not quite design, but like kind of design tool adjacent, um, after working at at framer and play, I was kind of getting more involved with, with design tool, um, design tools as like software and which are fascinating. And I don't know if, if you're you know, whether you're a designer or whether you just kind of hang out in Figma or something like that, like they're pretty cool UIs and they're, they're pretty tricky products. Um, so I had done something with arrows called perfect arrows, which was like a little algorithm for saying like, all right, I have these two points, draw me like a good looking arrow between them, or I have two boxes, draw a good looking arrow between the two boxes, which is, um, a little more complex than you'd expect because, you know, you want it to curve, but you want it to curve Mm -hmm. correctly. And if the boxes are overlapping, then that's a whole other story. And um, (laughs) so anyway, that was like my first big open source project was building these uh, perfect arrows algorithm in public. A lot on Twitter, a lot of GIFs and stuff on Twitter. Um, And then later on, I did another algorithm called like perfect freehand, which is for, um, it's like for a variable width line or for like a pressure sensitive line that gets like thicker and thinner as you push harder or less hard Um, and that's something that uh there's like really nothing else in open source that 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 satisfies that um or that like fills that need so anyway i uh i spent like six months hacking on an algorithm for um for for doing that to you know, take in my mouse positions and smooth them and then create like a a new set of points that like wrap around the input points in order to create that kind of a uh, digital link. This is called perfect freehand. If you look it up, it's much easier to play with than it is to for me to describe it over the, uh, over audio. Um, anyway, so I'm getting back to teal draw. So around, <laughs> around this time I I built uh, a couple of these like kind of canvas UIs for, um, for the arrows and then for the freehand and then, uh, for another project called globs, like globs.design, um, it's the website. And that was, that was part of perfect freehand, trying to figure out, um, whether I could use this other weird glob shape primitive for, um, for the ink, for the perfect freehand, um, ended up not being able to use it for, for perfect freehand. I never figured out exactly how to make a line out of globs, but I did create an entire like kind of design editor, where the only thing you have to work with is this glob shape. Um, and again, that's at globs.design. So uh, at this point, um, I had made like a bunch of these. This is like my third or fourth time building this, uh, this UI pattern, this canvas UI pattern. And, and Globs was pretty, pretty advanced. You could resize things and copy them and paste them. Um, so I started building another kind of white, like infinite canvas engine just for myself that was more flexible like globs was great, but you really could only use globs. Like you couldn't do anything (laughs) like it was just (laughs) like, you didn't have like rectangles or anything. It was just globs. So I started building one that I could put any sort of primitive that I wanted in there globs or points or anything. Um, Originally it also had like a a code editor in there so I could program uh, like imperatively say like, okay, create these points and then, um, you know, then switch over into the, like kind of design mode and, and interact with those and drag them around kind of like a, a scriptable design tool. Um, Globs is, also has a code editor for the same reason. Uh, so I, once I started building this kind of generic thing, this white label like, okay, this will do anything kind of engine, I had other people right away kind of reach out and say, like, hey, this is really cool. Um, we had this idea that involved a whiteboard or infinite canvas. like, can we build on this? Is this open source? can Can we like use this? And, uh, that got me thinking, okay, well, maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a, a project here. Maybe there's an open source project, um, for the editor itself. And at this point I was either going to go work for, uh, Figma or for Adobe. Um, and was kind of like talking to different companies about my next, next move. And I figured, okay, those will probably, uh, resolve pretty soon. So I'll just quit my job, work on this for a couple of months and, uh, and yeah, then go go work for one of those companies. Um, I started working on it. was this? Um, this was like, when oh yeah, this is like about a year ago. So I started thinking about this in March and then uh, I actually le- like decided to, I think things got more serious around May and then I, I went full-time, uh, I quit my job and went full-time in July. So okay. July of 2021, um, i I say, okay, I'm going to work on Teal draw for the next couple of months. Um, I decided by then I was okay. Next six months, by the end of the year, I'm going to go do something else. But I have six months. I'm going to build this thing that I'm going to call TealDraw, draw. Uh, and it's going to be a open source, uh, whiteboarding, digital virtual whiteboard, um, just as kind of like a minimum specificate or like kind of a minimum set of features that I wanted in this thing. Uh, and then, um, gonna open source it, but I'm also gonna open source like kind of an infrastructure layer, something that anyone else could build on if they wanted to make something like this. Um, and this is in in React, so you could use this, um, the same tech to build uh, like all sorts of whiteboards that had different React components, like moving around on a, on a canvas. Um, and that's what I did. I immediately got some corporate sponsorship. So the financial hit that I was expecting just never happened. I was like, all right, cool. My contractor fee is still being paid by someone else but i don't have to nice. do anything for anyone else <laughs> like i'm just having so, like one but, phone call. So how
1: did so how did that work like how did the sponsorships just, work? Know, I, was,
2: I was building this in again kind of like on twitter and in public um and i had you know i started taking uh, github sponsors a little bit um and and pretty op- being pretty open about like like the challenges about working on an open source project and all that. Um, But what had happened is a a very large company was building a new whiteboard, whiteboarding tool that needed to work in the browser. Uh, And they kind of didn't have a special team to be doing this. Uh, I mean, whiteboards are quite hard. Virtual canvases in general are like quite hard to, to build. There's a lot going on. Um, And yeah, so they, they reached out one of their, uh, one of their contractors was a follower of mine and was like, Hey, we should build on this, uh, teal draw thing. Like this guy's, you know, building exactly the thing that we would love to start with. Um, and so I talked to them and it turned out that this was a good fit. And so, yeah, we, we drafted up a contract and, um, yeah, it was like a sponsorship relationship. So I, uh, I met with them like once a week, but otherwise I was just being, being paid. Uh, <laughs> to work on my open source, <laughs> which was fantastic. Um, and then I also had the project uh, like as sponsorware. So I was kind of uh, really exploring whether sponsors sponsorship would work as a model like to sustain me, but also like whether it could uh, like contribute to the hype of the project, like build a reputation for the project. Um, so the money at first did not didn't really matter, but it was more about like getting people to set, you know, to be sponsoring. Um, so for tealdraw.com I had, I used like GitHub sponsors as like a kind of a like sponsorware, I guess you could call it. So in order to visit tldraw.com, you had to be a sponsor of me at any level. So I was posting all these gifts and like in progress, like devlogs and things like that on, on Twitter. Um, and you know, I had a link to tealdraw, to but you couldn't actually get there unless you were gave me a dollar um, and <laughs> luckily, I mean, a lot of people gave more than a dollar and a lot of people have, have um, continued being sponsors at, at some level ever since, which was fantastic. I think, I mean, it, it gets a little bit more complicated, but I have a couple of hundred sponsors on GitHub sponsors now. Um, so I, I built that over the, you know, the, from July and then I launched in uh, November, kind of towards the end of November. And uh <clears throat> it was like top of hacker news, uh, it was <laughs> number one trending repo on GitHub. Winning it was like the internet. Of, well, yeah, like I mean as far as like a a small open source project could could be, I think I I uh it did it did pretty well. Um all the all the metrics that you would have in this this tiny world um seem to seem to be hit. And yeah, a lot of people um immediately got involved in the repo and there were all sorts of contr- contributions and issues and uh, bug fixes. And what I thought was most interesting is how many other people took this and immediately started building on it. Um, my expectation was that people would be building on that like infrastructure layer, the kind of the lower down layer, but like almost everyone just took teal draw, <laughs> forked it, you know, and, <laughs> and, and and like hacked it to work for their product or, or for their case, which is fine. And uh um. Yeah, and so we had like suddenly there were there was tons of inbound. You know, uh I was getting like emails and and DMs and everything from folks who were like, "Hey, can we build on this? Or we're building on this? Or we just shipped something like that was built on this? Or like, can you make it do X, Y, or Z so that we could build on it? Or could we use your multiplayer? Or could we use your you know backend for for this or that? um And since the whole thing was open, you know everything. Um, like, yeah, it was just this like flurry of activity around it. Um, and so it was, it was kind of this, this interesting point. I was either going to, uh, by then, by now I was either going to go to work for Adobe in January, um, or I could kind of, you know, like cancel my contract and keep working on this. And so I, you know, and it could have been like, a a SaaS product, like something that I grew organically, like, uh, yeah, tealdraw.com like have a private, you know, paid subscription to it or, or have a team's license. Um, and alternatively I, I could say like, well, a lot of teams want to build on this. Maybe I can like have su- like support agreements. Um, or I could continue with kind of content creation and sponsorship and, and grow it that way. Um, and so I started talking more seriously to these teams, uh, who are working on this and saying, like, what would you, like, what are you actually looking for? Like, what, what would be the ideal product for whatever your idea is? Um, and talking to other founders about like, Hey, is there like, what's viable here? Like, what are my options? Um, and then eventually also starting talking to, uh, VCs about like, is this, is this something that you think could grow? Um, and like, what? which one of these paths could grow as well? So, you know, and also talking to a lot of other companies who who might want to, or who kind of wanted to um, kind of hire me and the project and, and grow it internally. Um, so I had a, like a ton of options and I had not that much time to decide. Uh, <laughs> I had like a month and it was like Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, because so Adobe I,
1: was expecting you to come to work.
2: Yeah. So luckily yeah. by, um, by like, you know, a month before I, I was supposed to start with Adobe, I I'd, I'd made a decision that I think there was, well, I hadn't really decided which path to go, but I, I knew that there were probably some viable paths to go. Um, so I, I made that very difficult choice of, uh, like canceling a, a lucrative tech salary startup or not, not startup but tech salary. Um, yeah, Adobe's not quite a startup anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> giant, giant See, company. Kind, uh, kind of the op- you know,
1: opposite of a startup yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, it's been some years. Um, but yeah, I decided to cancel that that contract. Uh, and and focus on this at least for for a while longer. Um, and yeah, it had a lot more serious conversations with other founders and other other VCs and decided I wanted to go the uh, the VC route. I wanted to raise some money. Um, the reason for this was that most of the conversations that I had with teams, they were not looking necessarily just for, a, for something to build on, but like something that was like complete that they could develop against. So rather than having, you know, like, well, here's an SDK that you could use to build a, a canvas application. Um, it was much more like, "Hey, we just want to embed something like like Mapbox that that works, um, but that we could still develop against." And so, for a canvas to work, uh, that also kind of involves like multiplayer and and uh, exporting and, and different rendering solutions. It's a much bigger problem than I thought I could do alone, uh, and that I think that the the uh, the scope of the opportunity. Um, meant that growing it organically I think would have taken a little too long um so I was like let's go let's let's raise some money and uh, <laughs> uh
1: and, and, and yeah and that and that just and that just happened or how did can you, you know, tell us some more about think, how you closed
2: the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you just go to the you know just say yes and uh <laughs> um no I uh you know it's funny i've I've talked I think I had a much easier time doing this than than most people um, who who want to raise money. Um, one because I had a a product that people were using um already. like there were like thirty thousand people a month active using tealdraw after like six weeks, uh, which is whoa you know, hardcore. Uh, th- that number is kind of stabilized now since um since it's no longer like brand new. But it was still like there was a lot of hype, um, and it was again after six weeks it was at like five thousand GitHub stars. So it like as far as an open source project goes, it was like healthy, um, and yeah, and uh, I, I had built up a my own Twitter following to a decent in size based mostly on these like eight second gifs of me trying to figure out how to rotate shapes <laughs> um, <laughs> all this like kind of crazy scene graph type of uh, uh twitter content so i guess there were a lot of things that were made it easier just from the get-go so you know the network had grown the, the product people liked it i could show someone that i had built something and, and could build something and then yeah there was a also, a couple of hundred sponsors and including teams who are already trying to de-risk building on this by paying me, which seems like a good foundation for a, a company. So uh, long story short, I spent like I spent like three weeks like in in active fundraising. Which if I don't know, have you ever have you ever fun this was my first time, but have you have you ever done this before? <laughs> no you have Yeah. no benedict yeah, three
0: weeks is this is pretty great, like I, I don't think you can get it much faster than that.
2: <laughs> I mean, I did talk to founders who were who like you know scared the hell out of me by saying like like you should be able to do this in a week, uh, you know, like you should have your list and you know, go through them just like, ah, I'm not, I'm just kind of, and, and honestly, I don't think I did a very good, like clean job of it. Um, like I definitely was excited about people and uh, thought like, yeah, this sounds great. Like, let's go. And then I would talk to someone else and be like, Oh, this sounds great. Let's go. And so I think, <laughs> I, I think I was accidentally very, uh, very disrespectful, not disrespectful, but um, I think I stepped on some toes in terms of the whole uh, VC fundraising dance. But uh yeah, I um, I found my lead, and then I, I, I'm still kind of rolling up all the angels, but um, so nothing, uh, I haven't announced it yet, so I'll keep it kind of ambiguous about about who's involved, but a lot of really really cool people are involved, um, and yeah, that that sort of brings me to today, I. Somehow, yeah, I was able to raise a whole bunch of money <laughs> uh, <laughs> without any any business plan or uh even a deck just um just you know like a, a multi multiplayer teal draw project that um described what i was what I wanted to do um
1: but if we step back was, a little yeah. bit, you've been at it for a while. It's not oh yeah you're like oh, sure. it's easy, and it's like you chose a really hard technical challenge, mm because we can all see and i've seen your you know gifts and i did you know math algorithm stuff in university i would never ever try to endeavor <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done um and you have done it and you've shown consistently that you've done it so it might feel easy now and you kind of did it a little bit at the time but like for us listening to the story like there are years there where you were working consistently on this which kind of led to it being an easy three week kind of yeah yeah. you know race but there's you couldn't have started today and like be there in two months right it's all of that work so i have a question on that like what Mm -hmm. got you motivated to work on all these algorithms like why make perfect arrow like what what got you to sit down and like do the math and do the
2: right okay so there are, are a couple of places where this starts because again like uh, I, I didn't go to university. F- I went to university for painting. Um, I have no sort of background in math. And um, that said, you can be an, a visual artist and, and still be good at math. But I didn't know I was had that uh, ability until very recently. Um, I think there's like two, two origin stories here. Uh, the first, um, probably the first is uh, when I was working at Framer, I was doing a video about stars, um, like a star rating control. Like, let's build a component for like rating something between 0 and 5 stars. Um, and these were tutorial videos. And uh, I don't know if you've ever made tutorial videos, but tutorial videos are really fragile. If you encounter a bug or something, it kind of can throw off the entire thing, even after like two hours of work. Um, and so I was making a star in, in Framer. Uh, and I noticed that the star was like, off-center it was like pixel. no it was significant it was like here you had okay. a, uh this is gonna be hard to describe but you had a bounding box right like a, a box that the, mm-hmm. the shape sits inside of um and the star if you could imagine was like stuck to the top of the box so this mm. it wasn't in the middle of the box the star was at the top of the box um like the top of the star was touching the top, but the bottom wasn't touching the bottom. There was like a gap there at the bottom. And I was like, what the, what, what? I can't believe this. Like, <clears throat> and, uh, and so I, I went to, uh, to Figma and I drew a star there. And sure enough, that star was also stuck at the top. It's not touching the bottom. And I go to sketch and the same thing. And I was like, what the, what is going on? Like, why are all these stars off, off center? So I like crack open the, the, you know, this because I was working at Framer, I could could go look at the source code, which is quite nice. Um, and well, it turns out that the the way that you draw a star um, that there's a sort of a visual algorithm for this that is the same for like this is how everyone draws their stars, right? And uh, you do it with a again, this is going to be hard over over audio, so I'll uh, I'll try <laughs> not to talk with my hands as I do it. Um, you have a box and you want the star to be in the middle of the box or inside of the box. And so the first thing you do is you draw a circle or an ellipse that touches all four sides of the box. Uh, and then you, you know, how many points your star has, let's say it's five. Um, you find five evenly distributed points along that circle. Um, and then you find the same number of points in a kind of smaller circle inside of that circle. And then you just kind of connect the lines. Um and the problem is that if you take a circle and you um put five equal points around the corners of that circle um like those <laughs> this is not going to work over radio but like
1: <laughs> No but I I I can actually touch I've the just been listening the, and I can yeah, right? I can visualize it. I can visualize it.
2: <laughs> like the the bottom two points are not going to touch the bottom of the box. Like the bottom of the circle is going to touch the bottom of the box. So the bottom of two points aren't they going to kind of be above it. Uh and so that was like my first time thinking uh, and like kind of lo- thinking about like oh well how does like how, how do these algorithms actually affect the the user experience of these tools? Um and of course a drawing tool or graphics tool, design tool um is like full of these types of little mathy problem solve solving things uh one way or another. Um, and yeah, so I I, I of course created a little fork that had my solution, which is you actually measure like what's the, the true bounding box of those, those points. And then you offset the shape by that, that distance. And now we have a, you know, a perfect, perfect star in the <laughs> middle of the box and the hooray. Um, and I, uh, I've I wrote a whole article on this, uh, somewhere called code sandbox kind of, um, examples and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that was my first kind of, uh, experience with this inside of um, design tools, the, the, the better origin story, perhaps the, the real foundation for <laughs> this, right. Um, was that I was working at a, uh, I was in high school and I was working at a pizza place and, uh, like, you know, on Friday nights, just cutting pizzas like that. My job was to like cook and cut pizzas. Um, it was fun. And, uh, you know, uh, people would have different requests when they ordered a pizza. Like, you know, I want this, uh, well done or not well done, or I want pepperoni on half of it. Um, and sometimes they they asked for specific cuts. So I want this cut into a kind of square cut or I want this pie cut you know, into triangles. Um, and one day we got a, uh, a request that I want this pie cut, right? So I want it to be cut into to triangles um, and I want it to have 11 equal slices. I want this to be cut, this pizza to be cut into 11 equal slices. Um, If you Google this, uh, you will find (laughs) my question about the same topic, uh, which has sort of become like a math meme. Um, I think it has like hundreds of thousands of replies on Quora and like there are different blog posts about this. Uh, And the question was like, how, how would you do this without, like with, you know, in a kitchen? Um like without a protractor, without any sort of like actual way of of doing this, like what's a practical like you know like how would a carpenter do this <laughs> like, how do you a <laughs> kind of circle into eleven equal um divisions uh with nothing and uh the answer is, i mean I think it took us like three pizzas <laughs> to get it right, and so <laughs> so we got to eat our our mistakes at that job, so we made a lot of them uh and yeah, we. Uh, but eventually, we, we kind of approximated it, and and there we go. Um, the answer. I mean, there are some interesting answers, and you can you can look it up. The one thing you do is you kind of uh, you could kind of take your hand, kind of spread your fingers out, make like a V or something like that, and um, you just guess. Your first step is to guess, and then uh, your next step is to like walk your fingers around like kind of repeat that that guess um, all the way around. And if you reach the end and there's still space left over, then you kind of do it again, but you just kind of expand your fingers a little bit. So you guess bigger and then you repeat that. And if you you kind of uh, reach the end and you you overshoot it, then you just kind of shrink that guess. And you kind of do that a couple of times until you get close enough. Um, which is like surprisingly like the same way that you do square roots or any kind of complex problems. You just kind of like iterate and guess and uh, um, do it that way. So that was. Uh, <laughs> That was the other kind of origin story for how you, you know, like my, my interaction with, uh, with, you know, geometric. I love both uh, origin
1: stories. These are I think I could listen so now, to you for, I like, you need to get your own podcast, uh, cause you tell stories really well. Um, but yeah, Benedict. I feel like, the,
0: the well, just as only comment, but I feel like the, the perfect combination of this story or those two stories would be like, I want my pizza cut into a star and want it centered exactly. in a box. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Otherwise, whoever gets that bottom piece is gonna, uh, you know, have way more pizza than the rest. Um, <laughs> yeah. They. Uh, I mean, it turns out that I just really loved those problems when I uh, when I was on um, when my daughter was born, and then I I was on paternity leave. I kind of spent her naps like reading more about these like visual algorithms, like you know, how do you draw a line in pixels, or like. How do you like, uh, do like ray testing or, or in, in, voxels and all that. And so, um, or like, how does shadow casting work in a, in an environment? How do you decide like on a shadow polygon? Those were all like problems that were very, very small in scope and I could do them in like, or work on them in like an hour or two while my, my kids slept. Um, so that, that sort of built up my familiarity with like math, I suppose, in this context, and like programmatic, um, or computational geometry and computational, um, I don't know, visual algorithms or, or whatever, um, which was all very good practice once I started getting into arrows, uh, <laughs> and, and then later, uh, you know, freehand, like digital ink and curves and stuff. That was, yeah, that was wild. Um, but it what's so you fun kept is on wo- yeah.
1: So yeah, so you kept on working on these kind of different algorithms, the globs and the arrows and, and the freehand kind of as intellectual pursuits, I guess. Is that the, the term? Like you wanted to know if you could make it happen or you wanted to know how it was working, or did you at that time think like, hey, I you know, I do these things so that I will um become a better developer and like become hmm. more skilled and then maybe I can make something or get a better job? did you have any of those kinds of goals or thoughts um, in your mind I mean, or was it more like playing first was, and
2: first it was play. It was definitely play uh, early on because, you know, problems like, um, like shadow casting or, or doing lines, present ham, I think is the, whatever like that. Those are solved problems. Those are, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't creating anything new there. I was just sort of like figuring out, Oh, this is how this stuff works. Um, when what was fun is is that I would I would then start running into problems that, like, weren't solved. And so, like, this arrows thing, like, there was no open source solution for, like, how do I draw a nice looking arrow between these two points, um, like, programmatically without knowing where those points are. Uh, because
1: it's hard. Then, That's why there wasn't <laughs> any solution. Yeah, was like, why not? Like, just, you know, like,
2: you don't really need a general solution, which is the, the true answer to that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I did. I was making... State charts, man. I wanted, I wanted my arrows. Uh, we didn't talk about that, but that was a different product. Um, but like the like the freehand thing was was a great example of that because what I had originally done was I, I was making videos of uh, for play. I was, I was trying to make like thinking about content, and like how do we stream this and how do we how do we do like uh, live streams with uh, with play and play is a design tool, but it's also it was a design tool for your mobile phone, or it is a design tool for your mobile phone and now iPad as well. Uh, really, really fun project to work on, a really interesting uh, just piece of software. Um, but the thing is that if, if you're doing like a, a demo on a desktop and you want to like draw attention to one part of the screen, you can kind of just wave your cursor at it. You can kind of just float it and kind of make draw little circles, you know, in in a corner. Uh, even if, if you're on a live stream and you can't do anything in post, um, but if you have a, a basically a video feed of a mobile phone, you can't do that because there's no cursor. And there might, you know, if, maybe if you have the camera actually shooting your hand on top of the phone, then you can kind of point to things. But otherwise, there's no like pointer. Um, so I was like, "Damn, how do I <laughs> like how do I point to things uh, in this situation?" So I was like, "All right, I'll just." You know, like how they have it on uh, on like American, I assume all international sports, but definitely American football, like they draw on the screen. They like take a little pen and draw like oh, a yellow yeah, line. Like, yeah, this yeah. guy here is going to go run over here and like draw an arrow. Uh, and uh, I was like, I need to do that. So I had to I quickly I, I kind of looked up like, well, what do you call that? And it turns out it's called a Telestrator is the name of the type of software or, or product that does this. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I need a, I need a telestrator. I need to be able to draw on my screen as I'm sharing that screen or as I'm recording. <clears throat> uh, there are some solutions that are like part of other streaming packages, but there's nothing open source. or there. I couldn't find anything open source at the time or anything free. So I was like, all right, well, I've built a drawing tool uh, before, like a little you know, um, drawing tool. I, I still have all that code. I still have the... Like the React app um, that I had made for that, so let me just quickly throw together an Electron app that lets me just put that on top of the screen <laughs> and ignore events, you know, when it's when it's not active. And so I uh, I, I hacked together a uh, an Electron app that let me draw it on my screen, and uh, it worked great. And I had a um, since I you know used to be an artist and such, I have all these uh, digital. Uh, like styluses and things like that for uh, like digital painting, and so I was able to have my phone in one hand and be like you know using the the device and then have the stylus over here and be like drawing circles like around the parts of the the video that I, I wanted to draw attention to. and it was really great, and it worked worked really well. Um, the only thing is that the stylus could do pressure. You know, it was like an expensive little Wacom tablet. It'll, it, it knows about pressure, like an iPad pencil. Um, and I was like, well, how do I make my line get thicker or thinner if, depending on the pressure, right? Like I wanted to also use that pressure. Um, and I, uh, so I looked up, okay, how do you do a pressure sensitive line? (laughs) Uh, Like what's the open source solution for this? And, uh, there was like nothing, there was nothing there. There was like one. Strategy, which is you, uh, you you take all the points, the kind of input points, and then you, um, because like, by the way, like SVG can't do a pressure sense, like a variable width line. Uh, you can only have one stroke width. Likewise with canvas, you can only have one stroke width. So either you do it like the Photoshop way of like essentially stamping a circle like thousands of times along the, the curve of the, the path and just make the circle bigger or smaller. Um, or you do that with lines and you draw lots of little lines and have the lines have a bigger uh, or smaller width. And most of the solutions that I saw for web did it with lines. So if you look at like signature signature.js, I wanna say, um, it, it kind of has a sort of a pressure sensitive, like it looks like ink and it's doing that with lots of little lines. But it doesn't doesn't look very good. Um, it doesn't look good <laughs> enough for me and it and it wouldn't work in SVG. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, I, can, I guess I can just start working on this. You know, like this is a why not? Like, how hard could it be? Uh, <laughs> how
1: hard could it be? <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering how hard could it be?
2: <laughs> it's hard. It was a really hard one. It was like uh, it was ridiculous. It took me. I probably worked on that for like six months uh, in, in my spare time. You know, just iterating on this this perfect freehand or what became perfect freehand. Uh, and, you know, again, building it in, on, on Twitter and there's just hundreds of GIFs of this line algorithm sort of in progress. Um, but I just wanted to have it, you know, for my little Telestrator app, uh, which is on but, GitHub. And uh,
1: but. But six six months is a is a long time to work on something where you <laughs> don't kind of you don't have an end in sight, right? You don't know if you're actually going to be able to or did you feel like, oh, I will be able to solve this or did you oh no, uh, was, this is no.
2: I mean, this was just play. I mean, it was yeah. still play, but it was it felt like it was playing the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. It was like and by the way, like it, it never makes any sense to to spend six months on a a, a line. <laughs> like, <laughs> which apparently is why no one had done it. Um, but I, I don't know. I really liked this. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of felt like a, um, what's the, there's a French word for this, like Derivé or something. Um, a kind of like an aimless wander, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like a playful wander through, through a city or, or um, through an environment. And that's the way I liked like recreational programming for myself is very much about that where one thing kind of leads to the next and maybe it causes a stop over here and there's no destination in mind, but it's just sort of like a a nice wander. Um, And especially if I'm sharing that story as I, as I work on it, it can be, it can be pretty fun as you know, the, 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 the character of Steve, discovers a new <laughs> a new <laughs> rabbit hole to, to dive into um and so i don't know i think it's uh i think it's it's pretty engaging content and it's certainly fun for me to work on uh and so yeah i uh i wasn't sure where it was going but i i know that i i knew that i would get there pretty soon um it was just like a lot of little edge cases and problems and performance things uh in order to make it Make it like an actual solution that other people could use. Um, but now it is an actual solution that other people can use. And if you are building anything that involves like a pen kind of tool uh, for whatever reason, annotation, signatures, whatever, um, you should you should be using Perfect Freehand. It is significantly better than anything else out there. Um, yeah.
1: I just want to dig even deeper because I think I've seen a lot of people, you know, on Twitter and also in our community. Um, struggling with that, like sitting down to work and feeling like you're kind of not getting anywhere. Like you've been working Mm -hmm. or coding for an hour or two and you don't kind of have a result at the end of it because the result is going to be far off. Um, And if you do that naturally, maybe you don't have any tips to share, but like what, (laughs) Um, how do you feel after that kind of session? Like how do you, you make yourself sit down for another one of those sessions where, you kind of, you're not sure where, if this is going to work or if this time has been well, I'm saying well spent in like quotes because I have no better word for it. And do you feel like maybe your artistic background can help helps in that kind of, uh, in that kind of uh, sessions scenarios?
2: Yeah, actually, I mean, uh, um, I've only, I haven't really had a chance to talk much about this, but I do think that, um, the the as a studio artist you develop a kind of a way of working and expectations for like what a, what work looks like that are very very different than <laughs> like uh what you would you get at a, at a normal job um or or in really any other field where i think the the biggest challenge to being a studio artist is um like it's it's never a complete absence of external constraints but it is uh, comparatively like completely unconstrained. Um, And that's both a blessing because you can do whatever you want and a curse because you have no way of knowing what to do. Um, And relying on your own, like relying on intrinsic motivation as like the only thing to direct you um, and to identify like when things are working and when things are not working, when there's literally no, like (laughs) there's no, um, (laughs) it's not like, there's It doesn't matter whether things work or not. Anyway, um, that's just a, to clarify. A as, to a
1: stu- as a studio artist, you kind of make the paintings first and then sell them, right? So it's like your creative expression, and then you—is that what you mean yeah, by like there's yeah, no constraints? I mean, can, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Just wanted to for the people who are not into the lucky, art world.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> <I>
1: mean, um, <laughs> it's not like somebody said, you know, paint this picture. You can yeah, do pretty much yeah, whatever yeah, you want. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Sorry.
2: Um, uh yeah speaking about just like a, as an exhibiting artist um not not as like a, you know I, I i have done portraits and stuff like that and that's fun but if it's just your own thing then uh that that can be quite challenging it really requires you to to learn how to operate in that kind of vacuum of uh, of of um of anyone asking for anything because you're really not building anything that anyone asks for um <laughs> And <laughs> so I think there's, there's, there's kind of two things. One is, uh, to, to always be building in a certain direction, you know? So, um, it, it's hard to say this, it's like you, you establish kind of a framework. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just stick with painting as, as like an example. If I wanted to make a, a, a group of paintings, spend, you know, couple months making paintings um, and I wanted to be able to exhibit those paintings at the end of that time. And I wanted the paintings to look like cohesive and consistent. Um, I would make some early decisions that would, uh, somewhat constrain what those paintings could look like, um, while not making any, uh, while not constraining other parts of what those paintings could look like. So for example. I might build the same set or the same size of canvases, right? So everything is, you know, uh, 16 inches by 20 inches. And um, I might make decisions about, like, what materials I'm using, um, maybe even what colors I'm using. Um, and then within those conditions, which are, you know, very vague <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> could produce all sorts of outcomes, whatever outcomes i produced would look fairly consistent. And so you're like, just give it a direction, and then do whatever you want within those those parameters, and and you'll come up with the right answer at the end. Because there really isn't a right answer; there's just um, inconsistent answers, and you want your answers to be consistent. You want your answers to be in a certain direction. Um, that's that's one way to do it, and then the other way to do it is to always be building on what you've built previously. So. This is much easier to do in software than it is in studio, but you want whatever next creative decision you're making, you're doing to like incorporate and roll up whatever you've done previously. Um, so maybe you do some experiments on paper. You want to then do some work on canvas, um, whatever you learned on paper, like maybe that's a visual thing or maybe that's like a material thing, or maybe that's a subject matter thing, but like bring that into the, uh, into the paintings or bring that onto the canvas. Um, Again, very hard to do in the studio uh, much easier to do in code, which is to say like, if you've built something, you know, if you've developed uh, knowledge about something um, maybe that's in in my case, that was like, all right, 2d vectors, like, working on arrows taught me a lot about like linear geometry and, and vectors and things like that. And so the next thing that I did didn't really matter what it was, as long as it just sort of incorporated what I had just learned um, and what I had just sort of developed. Like it didn't have to be about arrows anymore. It could be about something completely different, but as long as it rolled up those things that yeah. I had uh, used previously, then it then it would be consistent. And that other thing would never have been wasted. Um, yeah. Ideally you don't want to have, <laughs> you wouldn't want to have any waste, right? Like everything has a par- <laughs> has a part, even if that part is in the next thing, and even if that next thing is only a part of the next thing, uh, and you're just it's just churning, right? Um, I think the benefit to talking about your work and sharing it as you do it, uh, which I, I realize not everyone is into, and that's fine, but the benefit of that uh, is that the content that you're creating along the way sort of becomes the thing. And that like, oh, if this Arrows thing actually works and becomes like a useful uh, open source library, then that's a bonus, you know? Because like, I've already been able to do all this storytelling and and connect with other interesting people who are into the space. And there's not a huge market for Arrows jobs or anything, but like if I was into, you know, if I wanted to work with Arrows and I'd already established myself as the Arrows guy, So, you know, most of the outcome had already been achieved even before, you know, the thing before the programming completed or was successful um, and would have been successful, even if the programming part of it hadn't been successful. Um, So I suppose that's a very, very long answer to your question of like, how do you not how do you feel good about wasting time um <laughs> like, you know just make sure that your breadcrumbs are interesting breadcrumbs and that uh and that it's not yeah it's not like uh that you could stop at any point and not and still have made progress um with the yeah. other goals that are associated with it
0: so one follow-up question on that though um do you feel like or have you thought about raising money and like this becoming a business like would, would like how will this affect like your way of working on it because suddenly yeah. you're <laughs> you're very much getting outside constraints and suddenly there yeah. are expectations and it's not necessarily just the thing you do for fun anymore it's actually becoming a job yeah <laughs> so and uh have you, have you any thoughts on that
2: uh i mean this this work has never really been as pure as it it might sound this is i'm not i'm not a uh i haven't been an artist for for a while i haven't thought of my work as as art um but i have been very informed by the the ways of working that have come from that um and i think that they generally work good for progress or or for products rather um that the the kind of i mean Again, I kind of have always been in the design organization in one way or another. Um, And a lot of those, you know, cheesy charts that designers will show about, like, here's how the progress for product development goes, where it's like a chaotic line that sort of becomes a straight line. um, That's very familiar (laughs) from like, uh, you know, what what a studio artist would do. Um, so there's, there's some connect, uh, it's not a complete disconnect. And I think that as this, um, as this, uh, this company grows, I don't know. I can't see it being a bad thing to have in the kind of the DNA or the culture of the company is that like trust yourself, uh, that like what you're interested in can become something that is valuable. Um, and yeah, I I would hope that that, that doesn't get lost. Um, even as we get, you know, work more with clients and work more with teams and have a clearer goal of like where we're headed. Um, and like what success looks like, but yeah, I think that there's, uh, there's always going to be a lot of room for like, I mean, even just the idea of like, hey, we have a canvas. Like, what can we do with this? You know, <laughs> or like, yeah, yeah, like you can put anything on it. You know, like, what should we put on? Like, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of room for experimentation there as well.
0: Have you thought about what your next focus for like rec- recreational programming will be? Because <laughs> I feel like I think when you when I mean- you-
3: you
1: I love that term. Superstar. I'm going to start using that term because I have friends who are like, we're working all the time. And I'm like, no, this is work. And then I'm doing, it looks like I'm doing exactly the same thing, but this is hobby. Like, you know, but recreational programming, I'm going to start calling it that because sometimes <laughs> that's what you want to do at night, right? You don't want to watch a movie. You want to code something just because you made it up in your mind that maybe that could work or whatever. Recreational programming. Cool. Anyway, yeah, back to yeah. Benedict's question. I just now have um, a term for it. Love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, Feel free. You can use it. I,
2: uh, I, I I've also used the term uh, fantasy adventure programming for uh, for this type of stuff, <laughs> especially as it relates to uh, content content creation. Um, but uh, your question was about like what am I going to do on the side? Um, I think I think when you uh, When you do a startup, you kind of give that up for a little bit. I think. uh, (laughs) Honest um, answer. Yeah. I'm not sure. What I like, uh, I mean, there are things that TL Draw, like the engine can do and can include that are not necessary to include, um, but that I've I've been playing around with just to see if like, uh, what happens if I do? You know, can I make globs in this new engine, Um, (laughs) things like that. Um, And yeah, it's also really fun to take solutions out of a project and like open source them separately or kind of like refine them separately. Um, When you're building a product, as as I'm sure you know, like most of the solutions are just good enough Um, and sometimes good enough is very advanced and very complex, but you don't need to generalize everything. Um, but there are some parts of teal draw that I, I've quite enjoyed, like saying, okay, like undo redo, like what is the right, like, what is a good reusable pattern for undo redo? Um, or like, you know, the multiplayer sync, you know, what is a good pattern for that? Um, I mean, there are tons and tons and tons of these <laughs> that, uh, I mean, some of it is like, I like making open source. Some of it is that I feel like that extra pressure. Makes the, the quality that much better is to like do a pass of like, okay, if this solution was a general solution, what would it look like or what would it change? Uh, and it kind of you end up with something nicer in the end, so yeah, maybe it'll just be about carving off little pieces of teal drawn and, and opening them up separately. That'll I feel be like my that's another adventure.
1: <laughs> I feel like just to mention it back to the artist thing, I feel like the artists in my life have a very good, um way of like of receiving feedback like you've mm. it seems like you've through both education if you've had artistic education or through just the work have learned to be like that's feedback that i'm just not going to listen to like thank you for giving that to me and then this is feedback i'm going to listen to and that in some way it feels like they are better at showing off their early work Without having to go and crawl under, you
3: know, their, oh, yeah. their
1: blanket afterwards, <laughs> or maybe they are just faking it, like a lot of us. But um, but you feel like you've no had art school, yeah. To that
2: art art school uh, is is traumatic. So um, <laughs> not, okay, so you're all
1: just robots. nothing.
2: Yeah, nothing can ever <laughs> hurt me as much as I've been.
1: Around. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, what's it um, called? Desensitivity training.
2: Yeah, Art school is basically
1: yeah, exactly.
2: desensitivity to training. No, I mean, I, like, I it is such a uh, um, no, I mean, when you're again, like, when there are no external constraints on, on what you do, what like what you do is extremely revealing about what you are and what you care about. Um, and somehow working in software is by comparison so much easier because it's like, oh, it's about building a product, it's not about me like as a person or like as a, uh, as an identity, i mean, like, oh my God, it's receiving feedback on, on your, your software or your product is like, uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's easy. It's, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, like, what's the worst that, I mean, like this should not be, this should not be, um, like receiving feedback on, on your stuff or your, your programming, um, it's yeah. It's not about you, um, and so that makes it that makes it easy. Um, that's not always the case in art.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna practice that though because since I don't have an artistic identity on the side like you have. Ah. Like I feel like my product is me, um, <coughs> and that is making everything harder. And I know it, so that's why I'm asking you all these questions. Also, um, yeah, no, I, guess,
2: to- I guess it, it would be possible, right, to, to be identified. Um, or to I feel like you're identified with with like software stuff other Benedict do you feel the same way I'm curious
0: yeah yeah I think uh, (laughs) that's actually true like the more time you spend on it like the more sweat and energy you put into it like every comment of a customer that's like yeah right doesn't it doesn't it just do that like it's so obvious and you're like yeah, but like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't you see like the 12,000 hours I already spent on it? And this constraint is more complicated than you actually think it is. And like, actually, I've thought about this long and hard. And, like, and I am a good
1: engineer, I promise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At some yeah. point. At not point, you 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 feel a little bit attacked by like small comments like that. But then again, it's like also kind of stupid to feel that way because hmm. it's not about you. Um, I guess that, I feel like the more the more you pour your heart uh, your heart into it, the the more you f- <laughs> the more you get uh, annoyed by comments like that.
2: I think with I think I've spent enough time now with with teal draw. You know, even even perfect freehand. These are my not quite my babies. It's uh, well they're not quite me, but they are my I do feel like my babies uh <laughs> so um <laughs> yeah. but it's uh yeah it's uh i guess it's different it's it's so much easier once other people are involved too right like when once it's not just your your product or just your code or just your like the fact that it's like Tealdra uh is open source and that like other people have made contributions and um that is validating in two ways. One is that like, it takes off that pressure of like, that this is just me. I can always lie and say, a contributor, you know, right. I should have reviewed that one better, you know? Um, and then, uh, I, yeah, like alternatively, it's, um yeah, it's just, it's just not, it's not mine anymore. Uh, it's, yeah.
0: it's- I guess what's also nice about open source, that particular thing is like, whenever someone complains about something, you can always like, Hey, it's open source. Just like I'm happy to merge that pull request. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you, you <laughs> yeah. research
2: enough to identify the problem, like it's, uh, I bet you can, you can go one further. Um, yeah, uh, I've I've had some really great contributions from people. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I try and thank people by name when I uh, when I like do an update. Like uh, you know, on the on the teal draw Twitter, almost every update now has someone else's name attached to it, and I feel really good about that. That's but cool.
1: How will that be going forward? Because I've seen several frameworks that have been open source and then they're getting VC funding um, and there's still that open source kind of component, but then they have their own engineers that are getting, you know, paid handsomely. And it's it's like that weird disconnect where it's like, okay, should people still work on it for free mm. when it's now a commercial product? Uh, and what part of it is the commercial product and what part of it is the open source product? What are your thoughts on I guess this is early yeah. days, but what are your yeah, thoughts yeah,
2: it's on that very now? So, uh, I guess the, and I'm still learning about this, but like, how do you make an open source company or how do you make a company where open source figures into it? Um, I do think that open source still makes sense for TealDraw draw because it is something that I want other people to develop against. So you might put, you know, embed TealDraw. draw, uh, in your, in your application, but you still might want to program against it in the same way that you might program against like a, like a text editor, like a Monaco editor or whatever, make it your own, change how it looks, add the stuff that you need, et cetera. Uh, so open source makes sense for this, but it would still be like open core. Uh, it's that like a lot of the things that we're going to be building don't have to be open source or maybe shouldn't, um, so makes the company viable. So things like, uh, like the multiplayer or, or backend solutions, um, and all the conflict resolution, uh, the any sort of website like meta like meta product around uh, TealDraw, um, all the authentication services like that. So there's plenty of work to do that just doesn't fall into the open source camp. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, I would only want people to be contributing if like there's something that's missing for them or that they want to make better, like, uh, I mean, I like the idea of just contributing to an open source project out of the kindness of your heart because you want (laughs) it to be better. (laughs) But I'm also very like, you know, uh, you you don't have to do that with TealDraw. I would want those contributions to be more motivated by like, we're using this and we found a bug um, and it's just faster if we fix it, or we're using this and we would love to have this other feature, you know, let's let's work with the, the, the people on the team in order to, to put our, our own dev on that accelerated beyond what, what might be on our, our roadmap. Um, like we want the thing sooner is a good motivation mm. for, for open source contribution. Um, yeah. But hopefully, you know, hopefully the engine is fully open source and can be um, I think there's a like licensed correctly so that, you know, we don't get, don't get ripped off
3: <laughs> and like <laughs> resold. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> they're all, you know, all the normal, uh, normal concerns about, about open sources, I, uh, yeah, I, as open yeah. as we can, while still having the best chance to succeed as a, as a company.
1: Yeah. Just, so what's the tech tech stack? We've been talking a lot about, mm. you know, mindset and stuff, but just so people yeah. know,
2: <laughs> the, the nitty gritty, um, at the moment. Uh, everything is TypeScript. Uh, the the kind of the core uh, engine. There's kind of two parts. It's an interesting architecture. Um, <clears throat> at the at the center is this uh, core uh, class, essentially that is managing the the scene. So with a, an app like I'll use Figma as an example, right? Figma, you have a bunch of shapes on the canvas, a bunch of elements. Um, some of them are children of other shapes or frames. Um, and they're all positioned relative to each other and relative to their parent. Uh, the way that you represent that is through a graph and you call that a scene graph. <laughs> so this is like the page is the root, sort of. Or maybe the document is the root and the, each page is a node beneath that. And then each page has uh, like elements other nodes. And those nodes can be parents to other nodes. Um, So that's the scene graph. And managing a scene graph is a little complex. Um, And part of the complexity there is like deciding, okay, well, what, first off, what, what do we need to render? Like, what do we need to put on the screen? Like what's on screen versus off screen? Um, What's on this page versus what's on the other page? And then like, where do those things go? Um, And that's, deciding where things go is also a, kind of a complex mathematical process where you you kind of look at, okay, well, what's the root? Where's the root? And then where's that next child? And then where's that child and this child? And then finally, we know enough to be able to put the you know, those leaf nodes, um, those other nodes on there. So everyone's position is based on its parent's position, which is based on its parent's position, and that's matrix Math, and um, then the
1: canvas is infinite. So and the canvas is infinite, is so you
2: can go anywhere. Um, but yeah, that, that core uh, really just manages that scene graph, and it manages like the um, some of the interactions, like selection, um, all the like the different tools are also part of a different graph of uh, like a state graph. Um, so when you select a tool, you kind of like activate that part of the state tree. Uh, and then that, like, if you click on the select tool, then you start, like, pointing the canvas. Then now you're in a, in a different state. And depending on which state you're in is, like, that determines what happens next. So if I am in the select tool and I'm idle, and then I start clicking and I'm in the clicking, pointing the canvas state, and then I start moving the pointer, then now maybe I'm in the selection, like brush selection, where I'm drawing a box and I want to collide things in order to select them. Um, So managing all that is done with a kind of a state tree, a state graph, state chart. Each one of those tools is also kind of just a part of that state chart that you can add. So if I want to use a drawing tool or a rectangle tool, then that's a different part of that state chart. So that's something else that that kind of core architecture manages. Um, But it doesn't manage rendering, so it doesn't actually put anything on screen. It just knows what needs to be put on screen and, and all the information associated with that. Um, and so there's a separate library to do the rendering. And that rendering, currently I'm, I'm doing all in React. So um, you're able to say, OK, this is my my graph, all the information coming from the graph. Um, here's what I want it to look like on the screen. And that could be anything from you know, putting a, an SVG on the screen you know, into the DOM. Um, for like a rectangle or something interactive, like a map, a map box map. And you can put that on the screen as well. And, uh, so these shapes, parts of the graph, the, the shapes on this, on the canvas can be interactive. Most of the teams that want to build on this don't want to build whiteboards or drawing apps. They want to do spreadsheets on the canvas. They want to do no code, you know, patches, things like that. So having interactive Mm. web content that you can use your web developers to, uh, to develop uh, is, is highly advantageous versus you know uh, trying to re-implement text editors uh, in canvas or in WebGL uh, but if you did want to render into canvas or render into WebGL or pixiejs or anything else you could also do that like the since the scene graph core is uh, not concerned with rendering you could use whatever rendering solution you want. Um, I'm doing React as kind of the flagship renderer, but um, I'm, in, yeah, excited about seeing other renders being done in other web frameworks like uh, Svelte, as well as like Canvas and, and other completely different rendering solutions. And I guess so you could take that's that, that the information. the kind of the tech stack. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: you should also make like a laser <clears throat> printer rendering engine. Yeah,
2: why not? You could, not? You could do it with check boxes if you really had enough check boxes um
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's always fun when you could also like oh and then we have a physical we could do it in the physical world anyway um that make <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a studio well, yeah. and start we have uh, gotten this really cool uh shop in our neighborhood where you can go and like use all their um tools like, like a maker you know. shop yeah th- we've had some maker shops but this is actually more um more to like you can go there and, like, build furniture for your house. Or, like, it's it's more of um more of an actual, like, wood shop. Oh. But it has a lot of those makish-based places. I haven't been able to use it yet. But it's, like, on my mind that I need to start getting more into, like, physical things again. Because, yes. That's we can't, awesome. We can't all be on the screen all the time. And I think we talked about There's this. Uh... I'm like, I... <laughs> but...
2: There's a, we... a, 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 a... If you like Teal Draw and if you like this type of stuff, you might also, like... Uh, um cuddle which is a uh, another piece of software that's all about um like robotic controlled knives like mm-hmm. cutting um which you would they probably be able to use with the type of CNC machines that they would have at a shop like yeah. that oh my god so, this yeah is so that's what awful. you would play with
1: I'm just looking Cuddle's so my awesome. daughter is seven <laughs> my daughter is seven and I'm like thinking like this is things I can do with her where like I really can like learn something new and we can like do together without looking at the screen, mm. screen. Together. So but that is totally off topic. Yeah, robot Um, knives. (laughs) Robot knives. I mean, (laughs) what seven year old wouldn't like robot knives? (laughs) Honest question. Oh, but I think maybe uh did we forget like this has been an awesome conversation, but do you have any more questions uh that we have to get answered?
0: Uh not at this moment. Like this I enjoyed this very much. And I, I feel like we could go on for like another two hours or so but uh i think i feel like we're... we need
1: to revisit this in about six months a year and hear how <laughs> oh, the next yeah. chapter in your uh adventure as a business now with Oof. funding yeah. um with funding, how many people yeah, a... what's what's the plan on how many people are you hiring yeah like what's so, the immediate so plan case somebody listening wants yeah. to <laughs> jump ships um, and, and join your thing
2: yeah absolutely i uh I mean, I'm a solo founder. So far, it's just me. I'm recruiting. I have the first couple of people are are um, kind of lining up or, or getting lined up. But um, yeah, get at me on uh, on Twitter. I'm at Steve Ruiz. Okay. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes. And yes. um, yeah, if, if this is the type of thing that you like working on, whether that's on the um, whether that's on the rendering side, that's going to kind of come into play later. Um, so if you if you've been building game engines and want to do that for a different type of uh, product, then then let me know. And if you are a uh, you know JavaScript TypeScript developer, web developer who uh, who likes this type of problem space and always wanted to build your own Figma, uh, <laughs> get at me as well. I mean, this is going to be a team. We're calling it like pre seed funding, although it's. A couple of million, so it's it's quite a lot of pre-seed funding. Um, <laughs> so we have a, we have enough for a, a, a team of you know probably probably six or seven people, but it's going to grow fairly soon, um, I think. And so yeah, there's a lot of work to do, and it's pretty fun to work on. And uh, this luckily I've had the chance to build this uh, the code base like four, four or five times now. So everything's, <laughs> <laughs> everything's pretty well, well, uh, well organized and architected. So all, all the super hard problems. No, there's still a lot of super hard problems. From, <laughs> no, yeah. but
1: It looks like it's a really good foundation. And I've seen that through your Twitter updates and the talk to the other people, like how well thought out that you're, you're addressing these problems and you're trying to do them like properly. And, and it's very like, well, Formu- the problems are very well formulated, and your answers to them are also very well formulated. So it seems like your code base would be fairly tidy <laughs> compared to a Pretty lot of tidy. other, <laughs> other startu- startups. Um, so I guess tidier, the- yeah. tidy and tighter. I think maybe the last question then could be why is it called TL Draw?
2: Okay. Uh, remember when I uh, talked about that Telestrator app um, mm-hmm. for drawing on your screen? uh i bought the domain for uh for that app so tl draw i think still if you download the um the telestrator electron uh application it's named tl draw so i was going to pronounce it teledraw, like tl teledraw. um mm-hmm. and then i just had the domain i hadn't used it so when it came time to like publish uh this new whiteboarding pro- product that i had had i was like Hey, I'll just call it like a tiny little drawing app, like TL. uh, And then I'll use that domain because it's short and it's clean, clean clean.com domain. And so sort of loosely stands for tiny little drawing app. But also like we wanted this to uh, be something that sits alongside of code for documentation. So I don't know. We didn't talk about it, but you can, we have like a VS code extension for TL draw so that you can have graphs and be able to edit your, um, your drawings inside of VS code, uh, and then save them to files and commit them alongside your code. And so it's really great for, uh, documentation and, and the, uh, extension there is like dot TLDR. Like, you know, here's a little too long, didn't read. Uh, here's like a thing that's going to explain this, uh, visually. And so, yeah, there's kind of, a a couple of, couple of angles where I was like, oh, this is actually really useful for um for this project. And so that's where that's where the name came from. TLDR. So I can use this. TLDR. Yeah.
1: In- I love anything I can use in VS Code. And then I can add diagrams to my blog post from the same interface. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is just this is blowing my mind. Like as long yeah, as I yeah. can stay in VS Code, <laughs> my productivity, like <laughs> goes up. As, lo- as soon as I have to go out of, you know, then it's like, oh, check Twitter. Oh, but as long as I can like stay in there and like do all my work there, I feel like I can write and code much more. Like I get into that flow state. It's become yeah. my like productivity app, I guess. or something.
2: Likewise. Like yeah, no, it's great. And yeah. you can even, you know, yeah, having your, having your diagrams committed alongside of your code is <sighs> gets you, <sighs> you, you'll get spoiled on that pretty quickly. So oh this, yeah. this this is hitting that, yeah. this is hitting
1: all the right places.
2: <laughs> right on
1: <laughs> I think that's that's it for today, I guess. Cool. Um a little bit of housekeeping, if you're listening to this right away, I will be in New York City on Thursday, which is Thursday, what is that Thursday? Is it the 7th? I should have looked that up. Yeah, it's um, the
0: 7th and it's probably today when this episode comes up. Yes. Oh, right so on.
1: if you're in New York, Hit me on, uh, hit me on, hit me up on Twitter DMs, and I would love to uh, meet you because I have, I guess, thirty six hours in New York that I need to fill. Um, and other than that, we'll see you, everyone around the interwebs, or see you around the interwebs.
0: Cool. Thanks again. See ya. Bye.